Hello, and welcome to the turbulent world of Middle East soccer, or Mid-East soccer podcast. I'm your host, James Dorsey. Pakistan, long viewed as an incubator of religious militancy, is gearing up for a battle over the future of the country's notorious madrasas, religious seminaries accused of breeding radicalism. Islamist-led protests also threatened to be a fight for the future of the government of Prime Minister Imran Khan. The stakes for both the government and multiple Islamist and opposition parties and groups are high. Pakistan earlier this month evaded blacklisting by the Financial Action Task Force, Fatah, an international anti-money laundering and terrorism finance watchdog but only by the skin of its teeth. Maintaining Pakistan on its grey list since June of last year, Fatah warned the South Asian nation that it would be blacklisted if it failed to fully implement an agreed plan to halt the flow of funds to militant groups by February of next year, when the watchdog holds its next meeting. The warning was reinforced by a statement by Fatah's Chinese president, Jiangming Liu. China has long shielded Pakistan from blacklisting. Pakistan needs to be do more and faster. Pakistan's failure to fulfill Fatah global standards is an issue that we take very seriously. If by February 2020, Pakistan doesn't make significant progress, it will be put on the blacklist, Mr. Jiangming said. Pakistani officials acknowledged that Mr. Jiangming's comment underlined the seriousness of their country's predicament, but said it would serve as an incentive to push forward. That is likely to energize Islamist opposition to Pakistani efforts to comply with Fatah demands that would impose strict oversight on their funding and financing of social and cultural activities, including the operation of tens of thousands of religious seminaries. A five-party Islamist coalition that demands true Islamization and the establishment of Sharia law, led by Maulana Fazlur Rahman, the 66-year-old head of Jamiat Ulema Islam and a former member of parliament, organized a countrywide march scheduled to converge on the capital Islamabad on October 31. Mr. Rahman said the march of up to one million people was a declaration of war against Mr. Khan's government. He demanded the government's resignation. His protest is likely to secure a degree of support from other major opposition parties, like the Pakistan's People's Party, PPP, and the Pakistan Muslim League-Nawaz, PML-N. With government efforts to engage the opposition in talks to fend off the march on Islamabad going nowhere, both Pakistani security forces and stick-wielding Islamist volunteers clad in yellow uniform-like garb have been preparing for the march. Security forces have virtually sealed off Islamabad's government district. 
The government is also considering closing roads leading to the capital and banning media from coverage. Pakistani media reported that authorities were also contemplating digging ditches along footpaths leading to Islamabad to prevent protesters from circumventing roadblocks by foot. The Islamists were further energized by a controversial meeting last month on the sidelines of the United Nations General Assembly between Mr. Khan and George Soros, the billionaire philanthropist behind the Open Society Foundation. The foundation was banned from Pakistan in late 2017 as part of a crackdown on non-governmental organizations. Mr. Soros, a Hungarian-born Jew who survived the Holocaust and the foundation are globally in the bull's eye of populist, ultranationalist, and militant religious opposition to what they term globalists and cosmopolitans. The attacks, like in the case of the Islamist coalition in Pakistan, as well as Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban and other nationalist and far-right forces, often take on anti-Semitic connotations. Mr. Orban, who studied on a scholarship provided by Mr. Soros's philanthropy, has charged the billionaire with secretly plotting to flood Hungary with migrants and destroy it as a nation. Mr. Rehman, accusing Mr. Khan of being a Jewish agent, was particularly irked by the fact that the Prime Minister was believed to have asked Mr. Soros to assist in reforming Pakistani madrasas in a bid to counter radicalization and ensure that the seminaries adopt curricula approved by the Ministry of Education. Greater government control of the seminaries would substantially weaken the significant street power of Islamist parties that often fare poorly in elections. The emerging power struggle between Mr. Khan and the Islamists is in many ways an effort by the Islamists to force the military, who long supported them, to choose between them and the Prime Minister. Mr. Khan is believed to have had military support in the campaign that brought him to office on a promise to end corruption and help middle-class families. Instead, a persistent economic crisis forced Mr. Khan to agree to a $6 billion bailout by the International Monetary Fund, IMF, that involves stark austerity measures. The Islamists' ability to march on Islamabad has some analysts suggesting that they would not be able to do so with at least a military nod. Whatever the case, the march could not come at a more awkward moment for Mr. Khan. Mr. Rahman hopes to capitalize on popular discontent as Pakistan struggles to overcome the economic crisis and seems unable to garner substantial international and Muslim support in condemning India's withdrawal of the disputed area of Kashmir's autonomy. Earlier this week, police in Islamabad employed water cannons to disperse teachers protesting the fact that they had not been paid for months. Complicating affairs is the fact that solving the economic crisis, 
confronting India in the dispute about Kashmir and meeting Fatah's demands are all intertwined. Militants and others have degrees of financial maneuverability because much of the Pakistani economy remains unrecorded. In addition, despite crackdowns, various militant groups like Jumat Udawa and Jaish e Mohammed remain useful proxies in battles over Kashmir, all of which mitigates against full compliance with Fatah's demands. That is the murky playground in which Mr. Rahman and his Islamist alliance is seeking to stir the pot. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. A written version of this podcast is on my blog, The Turbulent World of Middle East Soccer, at mideastsoccer.blogspot.com. Please join me for my next podcast in the coming days. All the best and take care.